Our gospel lesson for today, the third Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him the gospel of the Lord. O people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. There's a show that I really enjoy watching. I've watched it for years. It's called Deadliest Catch. A lot of you are probably familiar with it. It's it's based up in Alaska in the Bering Sea and zeroes in on these different boats and captains and crews that are all involved in the Bering Sea crab fishing industry. Now, what I, I really appreciate about this, this show is the way that they do zero in on, on the on the different boats, on the different crews, on the different people and their interactions with each other. And I love how it's all based out of this one town, this, this fishing community known as Dutch Harbor. Now, Dutch Harbor as a community, I'm sure, is not only defined by fishing, though that's, of course, very important to their local economy. But I'm sure that there's other aspects of life there, that there are, are stores, and that the, I know there's a medical center. They talk about that on the show every once in a while. There's, there's people who live there. There's, there's life outside of just fishing, even if fishing is what that community is known for. Now, that idea right there, a community that's centered around a specific industry is something that I think is, is in common with the setting that we have for today. Now, today we have the story of Jesus' calling of the first disciples. As we hear in the initial narration, John the Baptist, whose ministry was the forerunner to Jesus, he's already been arrested. And because of that, Jesus moves from the south around Jerusalem, where he had initially been, and he moves to the north into the region of Galilee, and he kind of sets up shop there. All of this is information we, we get a tiny little bit of within Mark's narration, and then we know from the other Gospels that that's kind of the case. And in fact, one of the other Gospels even tells us that Jesus makes his home in the city of Capernaum or the community of Capernaum. Mark doesn't tell us that, but the other ones do. Now, Capernaum was quite the community in Jesus' day. It was, there was a lot of activity there. It was a very busy place. It was right on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Its location made it important for many different reasons. It was along a trade route that would go along the edge of the seashore. It was an area that was very, very important from a political standpoint. The, the Roman government actually had taxation routes that would come through there, so they had a presence there. Because of its proximity to, to the, the, the Sea of Galilee, of course, fishing was very important, probably considered to be quite central to the activity around that place. But just like Dutch Harbor, there was more to life than just the vital importance of fishing. But we cannot deny the importance of fishing in that community and in the individuals that we encounter today 
or I should say the individuals that Jesus encounters today. Now this story is commonly known as the calling of the first disciples. Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I oftentimes giggle about the idea of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually just a large lake. It's a freshwater lake. It's not really a sea, but that's what they call it. And as he walks along, he sees all these fishermen because fishing is so vital, and especially around this community. Again, as we heard, and as I mentioned in the other Gospels, we hear that Jesus has already made his home in this community. So it stands to reason that there may have already been an existing relationship, or in the very least, an acquaintance between Jesus and these individuals that he encounters today. Mark sets it up to be very abrupt and very almost chance encounter and immediate as he's walking along the shore that he starts to see these fishermen and he calls to them. But I oftentimes think that it's very, very possible, probable even, that they already knew who he was and that he might know who they were, that they had encountered each other in the community. Perhaps they had witnessed him teaching and preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath there in the the community, perhaps had even seen him perform one of his early miracles. I mean, we don't know if that was the case, but it stands to reason that they probably did have at least an acquaintance and that maybe this encounter was not as chance as it initially seems. But regardless of the circumstances, Jesus is walking along the seashore. He's seeing all these fishermen, some perhaps still out out in their boats on the water, some coming in. It was probably morning. We hear that James and John are mending their nets. That was the activity that happened after a night of fishing. But all of this activity going on, and Jesus comes, uh, comes first upon Peter and his brother Andrew. And for whatever reason, he calls to these two. And I love this invitation that Jesus extends to them. Come follow me and I will make you fish for people. This invitation of Jesus to these two individuals to follow him, to literally become followers of the literal Christ in this, something that we often call disciples, it includes not only this this claim as Christ follower, but it also includes an invitation into the work of the ministry, something we tend to call vocation. It's one of those big fancy words. It's basically the work that we are called into. And Jesus in his invitation, invites them into that too. And what I love about it is how it mirrors what they already know. They are fishermen, and Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Now, we can go round and round and round and round about what did Jesus mean by fish for people. I think it could mean a lot of different things, and maybe in any given moment it means something different. But the important thing about this call to Peter and Andrew is the invitation to be a a follower of Christ and how that includes the work of the ministry. Now, whatever it is about Jesus that is so compelling, I wish that I knew, I wish that I could have been a fly on the wall to see what it is about him that was so compelling for him to just say, hey, follow me, and they leave everything, and they do exactly that. But that's what happens. As they go a little farther down the seashore, we don't know how far. Maybe it was only a few steps to the next boat. Maybe it was a little bit farther. But either way, Jesus continues on down. Now he's got the two guys following along behind him. And now they encounter another fishing family. James, his brother John, their father Zebedee, and all of their hired men. This this business, this this family business that, that seems to be successful. And he gives them the same thing. He walks up, invites them, just as he had already invited Peter and Andrew, 
come follow me. And as we hear, immediately they leave everything behind. They drop the nets that they're sitting there working on. They leave their father sitting in the boat along with the hired men. And together, this this traveling rabbi now with four followers, four disciples, four Christ followers, they walk off leaving them behind. Now, I've often wondered, what was it about these four individuals that made it so important that three out of our four Gospels focus in so tightly on Jesus' invitation to them? Why do we need to hear about these four? And maybe, just maybe, we can even take it one step farther. You know, Andrew's along for the ride by all means, but Peter and James and John, we oftentimes call them the big three. They're the ones who oftentimes get more attention from Jesus throughout the course of the ministry. They get to witness very amazing moments like the transfiguration and some of the different miracles. They get to have some of the closer teachings. So maybe, just maybe, the writers of the Gospels thought that, yes, we need to see from the get-go, they're the ones that Jesus is first called, maybe they just need that much extra work. I don't know. But regardless, it's important enough to include this time of invitation to them to follow after. But as big of a deal as that is, and folks, it is, there's someone else in this story, and that's the person that I'm oftentimes drawn to when I think about this encounter, and that's Zebedee. He's sitting right there with James and with John. He hears the same call, the same invitation, and he's left sitting there. And I oftentimes wonder, because we don't know, what was he thinking? What's going through Zebedee's mind in this moment when this rabbi, who maybe they knew and maybe they didn't, comes walking up and, oh, he's got Peter and and, and Andrew. We know those guys too. They're coming along with him. And he walks up to James and John, and he's like, hey, guys, follow me. And they just, off they go. Was Zebedee frustrated? Was he, was he angry with his sons that they just dropped everything and left him? Maybe he was thinking, hey, I was about ready to retire. Now I guess I have to stick around and keep on working. We don't know. Maybe he thought they were shirking responsibility. Maybe he thought they were foolish. Maybe he thought something else. We don't know. But maybe, in addition to that negative sense that it's certainly possible he was experiencing, maybe he was feeling something else too. Maybe Zebedee was jealous. Maybe he felt a longing to follow that invitation of Jesus and to come along too, and he felt left behind. We don't know if that's the case, but I think both aspects are certainly possible, maybe even probable, given the circumstances. Now, as I think about this this possibility of Zebedee longing to follow after Jesus as well, perhaps feeling somewhat left out, like, I want to come too, I wonder how that might apply to the world that we live in now. We are in strange times, times when rapid change and rapid responses to an ongoing pandemic, which has had to upend the way that we are a faith community, the way we relate to one another, the way we do worship, the way we live life together, all these things have changed so rapidly. And perhaps there are some in our midst, in the midst of our faith communities, in the midst of the church, who feel that the way that things have happened have left them behind. It's interesting, as I consider this Sunday, knowing that our faith community is resuming in-person worship, and so there will be some who will be here in the sanctuary hearing this same message proclaimed live, 
Well, at the same time, those of you who are watching this right now, you are at home or you are somewhere else and out of concern for your health and out of concern for the way things are going, you are choosing to wait. You are not joining back in in the same way that others have. And maybe it feels like you're being left behind in that regard. I often think on the larger scale, and not just in this year of COVID, but in the larger scale, the way that we as the church, especially here in our society, have become known more for who we exclude and what we pass judgment on than the radically inclusive grace-filled, the grace-filled nature of God expressed through Jesus and how this invitation to, to join in to be a part of the community, to follow after Christ. That is an invitation that is for all. And so maybe, just maybe, just maybe, the way that we have chosen to express that or the way that we have lived that out has happened in a way that some feel left behind by that, like it's not for them. And maybe all of this all factors in, and maybe there's just this great big batch of tension that lies in the midst of it. A tension which perhaps was, was echoed or felt by Zebedee. Maybe he was feeling frustration, and maybe he was upset, and maybe he was disappointed, and maybe he was feeling left out and left behind, and he felt that longing to follow after all at the same time. Maybe he was feeling the tension of all of this stuff at once, and if so, that's very fitting, because it goes without saying that this world that we live in is full of many, many tensions. Perhaps we are feeling all of these different tensions or many more all at the same time. The older I've gotten, the more I've come to realize that the world's not all cut and dry. And every issue and every concern and every decision and every, everything, it's not all as black and white as sometimes we like to think it is. That there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of ambiguity in this life. And there's a lot of tension that we bring into every single aspect of this life because of it. But folks, there is hope in the midst of this too, in this ambiguity and tension and pain that sometimes is caused because of it. And that promise we find in our passage for today as we consider the message that Jesus himself brought to us, the first words that Jesus utters, the first aspect that we hear from him at all here in Mark's gospel, rejoice the kingdom of God has come near. We have a God who is so much greater, larger, bigger, whatever we want to say, so much more than we are, that is fully aware of all this tension that we're talking about and the difficulty of life in the midst of it and the gray area and the ambiguity and the struggles that we all face. And God has chosen to enter into it as one of us to experience it alongside of us, but more importantly, to bring the message that the kingdom of God has come into it. And it is here now. And included in that message is this invitation, the same one that the first four disciples received. Follow me. Become a follower of Christ. Follow after Christ, no matter what direction that might take you as an individual or you as a community or us as individuals and us as a community, however we want to say it, follow along after and join in the work. Oftentimes when we think about this idea, we think of our baptismal identity, something that's so important to us here in the Lutheran tradition, something I'm thinking about because we've got a baptism pending for one of our families here in the congregation, which is a wonderful thing. And whenever we have that, we realize and we recognize that that claim of God upon the individual, you are my beloved child. I claim you. 
Now follow after Christ and join in the work. In fact, that's even part of our baptismal liturgy. We welcome you as a fellow worker with us in the kingdom of God. That invitation is all wrapped up together, and that's what we hear today. And so in whatever way that invitation is manifesting itself in your life today, no matter what direction God through Jesus or God in the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say, no matter what way God is leading you today, whether that's to go somewhere rapidly and to move quickly or just to sit back and care for yourself, whatever that is, know that that is what God is calling you into and that it is legitimate and that God is with you and that God has claimed you and that is a blessing in the midst of turbulent times, in the midst of the tension that we all feel in this life. That is a claim and an invitation that is for you.